Good day, friends. Welcome to the Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. I'm your host, Elcio Eber, transformational author, speaker, and life coach. Allow me to be a guide as you discover your higher self and your magic within. Good day, friends, and welcome to Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. With me today, I have author Susanna Quintana, and I'm very happy to have this interview and discussion with her as we explore a very sensitive topic, but one that is close to my heart and dear. So on that note, I'd like to introduce you to Susanna Quintana. Susanna, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Hi, yes, glad to be here. Yes, I am a writer and a single mom and also a survivor of narcissistic abuse. I escaped about five years ago, but of course still dealing with repercussions after that. But I'd always been a writer, so but my voice had been silenced in the marriage. So once I got out, telling my story was a part of my healing process. And then it became even more cathartic for me because the more I shared, the more other people shared with me. And one thing that victims of any type of abuse share is that we feel so isolated and we feel alone. So that's why I think it's important to talk about these things, bring awareness, because that was one thing. Once I started sharing my story, I realized not only that I wasn't alone, but there were tons and tons of people who, who shared similar stories. So... Very true. And that, that's why I was so excited that you and I would be able to, to swim in the ocean of consciousness together and see where this goes. Because I've had relationships with women that were married to a malignant narcissist. And I had to, at that point, learn not only how to date a single woman with kids, but then how to date a single woman with kids that was trying to overcome this abuse uh, that a narcissist is known for putting onto someone and really reprogramming their mental prospect and what they think and what they believe and, and all these types of things. And in that process of that relationship, I, I also sort of had a, a reflective moment where I realized that though I, I personally was not in a relationship with a narcissist, I grew up in a household where I think there were narcissists adults that had control of the home and I sort of experienced a lot of that and I'm having that deja vu like that sounds familiar I kind of went through that oh my god that's not what it was and it's not something most people would commonly refer to you like in most families you're taught to be silent and never to speak of things that happen home or private things so you just pretend it never happened but a lot of things times I realized and speaking with other individuals, as we get older and we grow up, become individuals and try to start our own families, there's a lot of these baggage from childhood and, and teenage years of mental, emotional, and physical abuse that transfers over into our perspective and outlook onto the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what my book is about. It is geared toward women, but it's all about you know, going through that recovery and healing process, you can't be successful if you're not willing to go back to those places to figure out why did I end up in this situation in the first place, right? And it's not about blame or shame. It's just about, it's not that anybody deserves to be abused, but if we want to avoid further relationships in the future or avoid narcissists in particular, 
even in our present life, it's really important to figure out our own compass, if you will, so that we can figure out, okay, how did I even get to this place where I, you know, one of the questions that victims are of any kind of abuse are are asked often, which is very traumatizing for a victim, is why did you stay so long? And what that does is it just inflicts more guilt and shame on the victim. And we already feel that because, you know, like in my situation, and I hear this from women that I work with, is that when I went into this relationship. I was smart. I was educated. I was good with money. I was, I was all these great things and great qualities. And by the time I got out of it, I couldn't recognize the woman in the mirror. And so there was a lot of guilt that I had to deal with of, you know, why did I stay? Why did I put up with it that long? And so really, you know, going back almost like a scientist and uncovering how did I get into this situation? Because again, it's not that we deserve it in any way and it's not our fault but it's crucial to go back to, you know, for me in particular, I had to go back to my relationship with my father, who was also a narcissist and was abusive. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny you mentioned that because I recently, well, I, I say recently, but it's been several years now, but I went through a divorce and I had three major hits happen to me all within a six month period. And the divorce was the last one. And I thought I was broken forever and I would never find my way. And, you know, that first heavy load was the death of my grandmother that raised me. I was sad about it because I was not, I didn't know she was that sick. One, two, I didn't know that she was dying per se. The rest of the family never communicated with me. And then after she died, their words to me was, don't come here looking, there's nothing here for you. And so I felt abandoned in the world by so-called family that should be there. Shortly after trying to deal with that, I was, I was in the process of closing a, a business deal, a merger that I was working on. And then while I, when I did get the investors, my business partner got greedy and wanted more and the deal fell apart. And all of those years, three years or more putting into that deal just kind of went away. And then after that, my wife filed for divorce and left and said so she's had enough. She's leaving and, you know, <laughs> she has her own life. And so it was a one, two, three, bam. And I didn't shed a tear. I took a deep breath and I said, I have to overcome this and I, I need to figure out tomorrow. And then it's just perseverance. I knew I didn't have time to feel the pain of any of it. But as I found my way again, which is almost two years later, I found my way in Seattle. From California, I bounced to, to Michigan. I drove cross country, just me and my dog. Went south to South Carolina, Georgia area, worked for about six, nine months, realized I really didn't like the South. And it wasn't really for me after spending 20 years living in California, it was much different. So I, I ventured back to the West and ended up in Seattle. And slowly I've been able to rebuild myself and my life, but I was only able to do that. So then I, when I was able to come to a place of, okay, now, I'm able to breathe and look into what happened in these past few years. And I was able to go back. And then it it didn't just stop in those years when these things were happening, like the wife divorce, the business partner, the death of my grandma, and the family saying never come back. It was going deeper back to my childhood and, and realizing there's been a lot of negative from there onwards that was not healthy. And so I really understand what you're saying when he's like, you got to be, you got to get the, get the microscope out. You got to get 
because then you got to really dissect it and go into yourself, but you have to be willing to face yourself first and then go into that healing work that is of the heart, that is of the mind and it's of the soul. And no one can really do that work for you. Right. You have to be ready to do the work on yourself. So I, I get it. And I totally I hear what you're saying when you say that. But, you know, on that note, I, I, I would like to pause for a second. And I want to introduce you to this text that I came across. And I felt it was important to share, I think, in, in what we were talking about. Give me a quick moment. I'll try to recite that for you. And then we can continue on from there. But before I do that, I'm going to chime in my Tibetan singing bowl that I recently got. But I think because I think it cleanses the air and the room and brings in positive spiritual energy. Great. What I wanted to read for you was the 52nd hexagram of the Ching, and it's entitled Keeping Still or Impediment. And the it goes, build a house of everlasting universal life on a foundation of virtue. With virtue, there is union. Subtle power comes not just from within ourselves, but from heaven, earth, and all living things working positively through us. The mind embraces all positive virtues without separate. You contribute to all things, creating a solid immortality with the whole universe. Strengthen your virtues and become forever naturally firm beyond decay. Obediently follow the way of the universal and eternal life with a single-mindedness and all anxieties will fall away. The inferior mind is the origin of all trouble and sickness. To treat your illness, first treat your mind. As the impure mind becomes active, all manner of negative obstacle arise. As the mind becomes calm, shadows and hardships disappear. A harmonious mind breeds no disease. Pride and self-neglect both breed imbalance. To know the cause is to know the cure. Do not think about the subtle truth as theoretical, improving your life depends on honest self-cultivation. Cultivate the awareness that obstacles are impurities. Melt through your mental concepts to the eternal reality. Unite with the final truth. Treat your mind and body with your mind and body. Trace differences back to their origin. To the truest cultivation, discipline, proof, and gain become the son or daughters of the highest heavenly family. And that's the commentary on the 52nd hexagram on keeping still. And it just resonated with me as I was reviewing it while I was waiting for our interview because of what I just was trying to just to share with you of my personal discovery that, you know, we all carry emotional baggages and if we don't learn how to stop for a moment and be honest with ourselves and look at ourselves, yes. we can't heal from that. And how then can we share love and life with someone else in a healthy relationship if we're not healthy within ourselves emotionally and mentally? From that Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad you read that. That spoke so much to me because in my own a healing journey. And first I'll preface just by saying that I had a similar experience as you did when you were divorced and you sort of just, you know, 
pushed it aside, pushed your pain aside and weren't ready to deal with it. Yeah. In that I was married to my first husband very young and he was emotionally abusive. And when I left him, I wasn't even divorced yet before I fell in love with my second husband, who was the diagnosed narcissist and who I was with for 16 years. You know, there was absolutely zero time that I spent on myself to just be alone and process what I had gone through in that first marriage, right? And this is a mistake that that people make time and time again and why we repeat what we don't repair, basically. I just, I love that saying. No, that's um, very true, yeah, very true. Yes, so that's exactly what I did is I jumped into the next relationship, the next abusive relationship, you know, without a parachute. And of course, what happened was exactly what was supposed to happen when, you know, when you don't spend that time healing those wounds, you know, you're doomed to repeat them. So the second time this happened, I decided, and I don't know if it was just because of age, because I had, you know, I was in my forties at this time and I had maybe grown a little wiser. I'm not quite sure because I certainly didn't have any sort of examples in my immediate family of this, but I decided that, you know what, this time I was going to go through the pain. I didn't know what that was going to look like, I know I was already in a lot of pain just after having escaped the marriage because the last few years were very traumatic. So I was dealing with that trauma. So I decided, I, my children and I, we started attending a Buddhist temple. And that changed my life because I learned not only how to meditate and the basics of you know, Buddhism and attachment and all of that, which was, which was so, it just spoke so clearly to me and learning visual meditation because I had suffered physically because of the emotional abuse. So the visual meditation really helped me get my health back on track. But one of the bigger things that that's why that passage you read spoke to me is that it's, you know, this process we're on, this journey that we're on, it's not a linear journey, right? It's not a like from point A to point Z. And so, so what I learned through meditation and through the teachings of Buddhism is that because life is circular, right? It's like we're constantly just like the cells in our body, right? That are dying and regenerating every single day constantly, even though we can't see it and we can't feel it, that's going on, right? So this is something I speak about in my book too, is that especially in this country, in our culture, we tend to like to break things up into the past, the present, and the future, right? So when we're healing, we think, okay, I don't want to go back to the past because it's painful. I'm just going to live in the present, and then the future is tomorrow, so I'm not really going to think about it, not understanding that these are all connected, and it's just constantly this constant movement of energy, right, going in and out of us. So no matter how much we try to not pretend that the past is still very much alive in our bodies. And the reason that we know it's alive is if you think of something in the past that's very troubling, right? Like a bad memory or something, if you get a trigger or a flashback, that immediately causes a physical reaction in your body, right? Either you, you know, maybe your heart starts racing or you get a stomach ache or whatever. And likewise, if we think of a good memory in the past, right, then that also produces a physical feeling of euphoria, maybe. So that's how we know that the past is alive. So when we try to pretend that, not that it doesn't exist, but that, you know, you have those people saying, well, the past is in the past. You're not, don't look in that direction. Just leave it behind you. It's history, right? 
that's a huge mistake when we're trying to recover and heal from something, even if it's way back in our childhood, right? Because it's still living and breathing within us and it's culminating in compelling us to make decisions in the present that will then affect our future. You see what I mean? So it's all tied together. And that was the key to my healing is that I realized, and again, from you know going on this journey in Buddhism and learning all these great tools of how to get to that place of seeing everything as connected, that I found it within me to go through the very painful parts of my past or whatever I had to deal with. And I had to feel it in the moment, which was extremely painful, you know, cause it's almost like reliving it in many respects. Yes. But then as soon as you do that, then you can come out on the other side and then you can officially leave it behind you. Right. And move forward into the future because it's not burdening you anymore because you've released it. Yeah. Correct. No, I, I totally agree. And I even go to the point where when I, when I try to explain what you just said, I kind of come from a place of a singular moment in time. A lot of, like you said, a lot of people see that a linear factor of past, present, future, when in reality, there is no past or present, it's just one moment. Right. But we perceive the changes in all of these aspects and elements that makes life seem like it's moving to us and then we were on this linear path with it but when you sit with yourself and you enter that unconscious state of being and you go into the subconscious and you really come out uh, into that then you rise find yourself within your inner self your inner child and that inner person that you're healing you come to that place you start to look at past, present, and future in one single moment because you start to realize I am emanating the life that I am through this. Right. When I heal or, or looked into things and was able to move beyond it, I found it wasn't so much as leaving it behind either. It was a, a bit of, I was able to now live with it because I faced it and overcame the fear. And right. that was negative, that was keeping me from maybe talking about it and maybe revisiting. And sometimes I, what I've learned too, when you, you're dealing with the self and for you to find healing of self, you can't wait for an apology and you can't wait right. for someone else to be mature or at a place of their being where they're ready to say, you know, I'm really sorry at what I said hurt you. I'm really sorry what I did affected you in such a way. And I realized you have to be okay. And, for, and I was, you know, I'm always honest in, in, my, in my sharing of information. So, and I'm speaking from a personal aspect now of, for me as family and parents and so forth. I have to be okay with that they'll never really understand or see things. Yeah. Do the, their own internal work and reach to that point in place to realize how their action or words has affected another especially if it's the, the life they brought forward and was supposed to create a safe haven for. And so I had to be okay saying, well, I forgive myself. Yeah, exactly. And, and that I, my ability to forgive another is the extent that I forgive myself from the situation and the scenario. And that I look at it from a learning perspective and a teachable moment that that is something that my soul needed to experience. As traumatic as it was, I think I needed to have all of these breadcrumbs or stepping stones that led to the moment. And because now I speak of my third chapter in life, but it's not 
overlooking chapter one or chapter two. And, and you know, like I said, all that stuff happened in chapter two, the divorce, the, the business, the, the, the debts and all that stuff. And when I tried to go there to heal what I thought I was going to, to go back and revisit pain from a loss of a debt or a marriage, or I realized it wasn't just chapter two. I needed to go to chapter one <laughs> to realize why chapter two was such a dramatic experience in order, like you say, so that I can heal and not bring any of that into chapter three. Right. And so that's why when I refer back to uh, having been in a relationship with a single lady that was coming out of a, a divorce with a malignant narcissist, and I had to kind of look up the differences between narcissism and malignant narcissism. Right. right. There was so much that I had learned from myself in trying to love another. And what like you mentioned earlier too, I was so fortunate after the divorce that I had almost two years alone without dating anyone and did internal work on myself. So that when I did meet the right person, I knew from in my gut, I kind of felt that this person is right for me in my gut. But that when I, I was facing all of the difficulties, it was coming from a place of purity because I had done my own healing. So now all of a sudden, I was sort of a voice of inspiration and I was sort of a voice of encouragement to that individual through what they were going through. And I think because I looked at my childhood and healed myself from that place, I was able to find in the malignant narcissist characteristic and personality demons that I faced and slayed in the past. And I just use that as a term of that which haunts you from experiences that you've endured, but were never able to face until a certain moment. So because I face those dark sides of my inner being, I'm able then to project now a, a sort of lightness to the world and a sort of lightness from the healing that it's coming from a place where what I say and how I say it and the ability to speak truth is from a caring and sharing place, not from one of fear or doubt. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so just in keeping the conversation rolling, I just, I just mentioned the malignant narcissism. So you were going through your emotional abuse with a narcissist. It's sort of different from what someone that had to face with a malignant narcissist would be. You know, my ex was diagnosed as a narcissist, whether he was a malignant narcissist I have my feelings about it, but one thing I'd like to say is that victims of narcissists, we all go through this process of the moment that we discover the yeah. word narcissist. I had no idea what that meant. I, I used to think that a narcissist was just somebody who looked in the mirror a lot or took a lot of selfies. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. So we all go on that journey of discovery of first, it's really important to find out, okay, what is a narcissist? Because what that does is a difficult part of the journey because it's this is breaking down the illusion that we had of these people that we loved and trusted and spent time with and made plans with and even had children with. So it's difficult, but it's necessary to go through this discovery process to figure out what a narcissist is and how they operate. It's important because that releases us from a place of blame, right? Because narcissists are masters master manipulators at making a victim feel like everything is their fault and they're the ones that are lacking and they're the ones that are less than right so like in my case the last few years especially 
right when I came out, I mean, I thought everything was my fault. I felt like I was the crazy one. I was the messed up one, you know, because of all those years of just being conditioned to think that way. So, so it was really important for me to figure out, okay, this is what a narcissist is. This is what it looks like. This is how they abuse their victims. This is what they do because then I could sit back and release that blame that I was, I was putting on myself. Yeah, kind of like the text said, there was an origin for those negative feelings and you, yes. you came across it. And it was the same for me because, um, like I said, in one of my previous relationships where I was dating someone that came out of a, a married with a malignant narcissist and that was new to me. And then I saw, I looked it up and then I realized there's a difference between narcissist and malignant. And I discovered a lady, and from Arizona called Chris Godinez, and she does this. Um, yes, I love Chris. Yes, I know, and I love how honest and, and straightforward she is, you know, she'll, yeah. she'll say it like it is. But she did this one show on what a victim of a narcissist relationship first goes through when they get out of the relationship. And some of the things she covered, I sort of realized, oh my God, I started to see that in my partner. I started to recognize, you know, where that, what she called that programming took place. Where right. Now they were stuck between what the narcissist programmed them to live, to be, to believe, and mm -hmm. slowly rediscovering themselves. And there was that conflict between when do they get brave enough or you know, confident enough to reprogram basically their, their mental structure based off of what they remember prior to that abusive relationship and where they see themselves wanting to move forward into like we thought that linear path from the past future but from a present moment yes and that's where i started seeing the circular pattern between it because it was really about you know i was trying to say well i wanted to be a part of that journey for her and i wanted to share how i had healed myself from certain things that i just shared with you and that in that process maybe we can heal together and it was and I, she had said something that a patient of hers that the wife had mentioned to her which was something that basically, you know, the husband was dying and she said that um, they'd been on this bus ride together. And the one thing she knew was solid that they were on that bus ride through life together. And though the scenery may change and the bus may make stops along the way, they were on that ride together. They got on the bus ride together and they're going to get off that together at the same time. So no matter how difficult life got in a relationship in life, the scenery changes. But as long as we know we're together, that's that magical moment of true unconditional love. Whatever you go to, we go to together. Whatever I go to, we go to together. And it's that heart to heart that started lifting my healing to a different level and allowed me then to, once I started looking up what the narcissist was, and I could then start to help to see where those programming was and where maybe it was comforting that she would need it from me or where there was something where it had to remind her, no, you're, you're beautiful. You're worthy. You're great. You've come so far. You, you can't stand on your own. And that's, I think that support system is important. Yes. Yes. And I am working with a woman now who spent 20 years with a malignant narcissist who was very abusive. And now four years later, she's in a very healthy relationship with a really good man and but she still even though it's four years after she still has such trouble recognizing not recognizing it she knows how good he is but not feeling worthy 
of him, right? Because for over 20 years, she had been told that she wasn't worth anything, right? And that no, she wasn't worth anybody good or worthy of being loved or respected. So it's a really difficult process for victims, especially the longer you've been in that abusive relationship, when you come out and you meet somebody who's very healthy and it's hard to accept that only because we've been, you know, really brainwashed for so long to think so little of ourselves that it's natural that we would have reactions to somebody being good to us. It's natural to have reaction, to have feelings of doubt, to have feelings of distrust. That's all natural. But if you're going through the process and recognizing these feelings that you're having, you know, like the woman I mentioned that I'm working with right now, she is actively every single day present in her feelings that are triggered from the past, right? And how she feels in her new relationship. So that's how you move forward is, it's not like some of this stuff is just gonna go away, right? I mean, you know, especially if you're in a very abusive relationship. I mean, I still have days, I've been out of it for five years, but I still have days that, because I still have to have limited contact and so forth. It's not like I'm living on a deserted island, right? that things come back and either reminders or just triggers or whatever it is. It could be a word. It could be, you know, it could be just the smallest of things. But as long as I'm present in the moment and I'm recognizing it for what it is, you know, and also understanding that these voices in our head are voices from the past, right? They're not our voices. Yeah. And that was part of the healing process. That's a crucial part as well is understanding that, you know, when I first came out, I had all these voices in my head that I thought were mine, when in fact they were his, right? Because I had been listening to him put me down for so long that I mistook those voices and I thought, oh, this is me telling myself that I'm unworthy, right? So again, just being present in the moment, you know, being aware of where you've come from so that you can react appropriately in the present. And that whatever, however that happens, then that's going to affect your future. I would like to take a brief moment for a guided meditation. Close your eyes and take a deep breath and follow me in this guided meditation as we recite this daily affirmation. I am sight and I am seen. I am light and I am love. I know that I can achieve greatness. I am mind and I am body. I know that I will overcome all adversities. I am heart driven by emotion and I am spirit affecting light. I know I am heavenly favored and blessed. So it is that I know with faith that this too shall pass. Blessing be to you. Healing of the heart, healing of the mind, I extend to you from my vibrational force into yours, a guidance of healing, love, and light. Hear this resonant sound and receive the healing. I am one.
Becoming spiritually integrated means giving up false conceptual beliefs and keeping one's true nature deeply connected with the universal force of life and creation, all in the heart, all in the mind, all in the spirit. The following guidelines will help your self-revival and your process and journey of self-cultivation to the self-transformation. Unify the mind and the body so there is no separation. Concentrate on inner vitality and on becoming pliant like a baby. Purify your inner vision in order to reach immaculate accuracy. Love all people and govern them with serviceable virtue instead of resorting to a worldly approach of force. Be receptive when heavenly doors open as well as when they close. This brings forth the subtle changes that appear in the physical world. For there is the changing and the unchanging truth that is within all life in the one single moment that we are from past, present, and future. Keep your mind and life unoccupied in order to live with the reality of each new moment for what it is. Blessings be to you. Receive the healing of all. Blessings be to you. Receive the healing. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Swimming in the Ocean of Consciousness podcast. It was truly a pleasure to be your guide. Please do join us next time for another eye-opening episode. Until then, please remember to thread water lightly and always be kind and loving to self.